This is the Dallas Prospect Live with DDP. Every legend was once a prospect. The Dallas Prospect is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash the Dallas Prospect or become a member by clicking the join button. Now let the show begin. Welcome back, everybody. This is Derek Kirby of the Dallas Prospect, and I am joined today by Kevin Gray Jr. We are going to be previewing the Mavs and Clippers rematch. Do we have a subtitle for this? The Revenging? <laughs> something something dramatic? The re- the Revenge Series? Yeah, yeah. the Revenge Series. I, I, that's what I'll call it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I never know, like, in what instance you use revenge versus avenge. You, to me, you avenge a loss. So, like, if you're talking about last year, you would say, like, Avenge 2020. I, I don't know. I, I see it used both ways where someone will say Revenge 2020. And I'm like, well, no, that would make it seem like the revenge happened in 2020. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a stickler right. for that thing. And I, I see it used interchangeably online sometimes, and it just drives me insane. But anyway. Revenge sounds cooler to me. It sounds better to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh, anyway, how are you doing today here? I'm good, man. I'm good. The excitement is in the air for the NBA playoffs once again, especially after uh, some of the playing games that we've seen. Uh, I'm not sure if you watched Warriors-Lakers last night, but that was obviously pretty, uh, pretty amazing basketball game. Kind of a wet your appetite kind of game for the, uh, for the NBA playoffs. So after watching that, I'm, uh, I'm fired up and ready to go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I caught parts of that game and mm-hmm. it, it was very much, it felt like a, a tale of two halves in the sense that Going into halftime, you were like, okay, so Steph Curry's like the greatest basketball player ever, right? <laughs> and uh, the Lakers looked like they, like people were kind of joking, like this is the team that the Clippers were trying to tank to avoid. Like the, the Lakers <laughs> right. looked all kinds of out of sorts with LeBron and Davis at half. And yet they pull it out in the end. LeBron hits the clutch shot. And that, uh, that kind of shows that they're still dangerous, even if they're not 100%. Yeah, I was telling a couple of people, I said the Lakers are probably good. Well, they are now the seven seed. They're the greatest seven seed of all time. <laughs> you know, the defending yeah. NBA champions. And if you're the Phoenix Suns looking at your draw, you're like, we've gone through all of this through the last several years just to draw the Lakers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So yeah, that's yeah good luck to Phoenix with that. Yeah, that's brutal. The only other seven seed I can think of, there was one year the Mavericks uh, played the Spurs, and I want to say it was a 2-7 matchup, and San Antonio won that series, I believe, or maybe it was a 3-6. But there was something like that where the Spurs team was finally healthy and ready come playoffs, and it was w- nothing like you would normally expect to see in that kind of matchup. Like, they were much better than their record indicated. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree, though. Like, this 7-seed Lakers team is certainly the, the best 7-seed that we have seen to date. So... I don't I don't envy the Suns having to deal with that. It, it's unfortunate that a team that if it had been an 82 game season, they would have won 60 plus games at the rate they were going. And mm-hmm. yet they're going to be arguably not even favored in that matchup in a two seven matchup like that's not at all. That's brutal. That is brutal. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, it was very good basketball for that. It worked out as you kind of expected, like the, the Spurs lost in that matchup as well. So the two higher seeds did advance, but you still got exciting basketball out of it. I think the only bad uh, play in game was the first one that we got with the Pacers and Hornets. That was, Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't exactly exciting. The Boston um, Washington one was at least competitive for a while, even though Tatum went off and they pulled away, but Mm -hmm. it, uh, it was, I think the experiment overall was a success for the NBA. And as, as much as teams were frustrated by it, like whether it was Mark Cuban talking about it, Luca, LeBron, whoever, it, it accomplished, I think, what the NBA wanted it to in that it had people hotly debating and discussing the matchups and all the different scenarios that were going to lead into it in the final week or so of the season when that really wouldn't be discussed before. Usually you would have like one, maybe two interesting matchups where it's like, oh, well, if this happens or this happens, we could have a drastically different uh, matchup here. But like it, it's not the same scale as this felt. This felt like there were so many moving parts and there was legitimate pressure to end up in that situation that 
I I think it accomplished everything the NBA wanted. It would not surprise me in the least if this is just like the new norm at this point. No, I agree. I think you're going to see the play-in tournament definitely continue to go on uh, as the NBA continues to see the success of it. I mean, on the final day of the season in the Western Conference, seeds one through seven still had not been decided on the final day of the season. So the amount of intrigue, you talked about the scenarios, there was a lot to watch even on the final day of the season. And then you go into the play-in tournament, it's worked out where we weren't talking about teams tanking or these things with terms of the lottery. There was still a lot to play for going into the final week and final day of the season. So the NBA got what it wanted. I don't know if the timing was great doing it in the compressed season that they did it in, but it worked out nonetheless, given how successful it's been so far. So, yeah, I think Adam Silver's looking at that and saying, yeah, we're going to keep doing that for the, yeah. the foreseeable future for sure. There, there was some crazy stat I saw yesterday. I can't remember if it was like SportsCenter or something that put it out, but it's the first time in like 45 years the Spurs went back-to-back seasons without making the playoffs. Like that's almost incomprehensible to to have that. Like 45 years of back-to-back seasons missing it. Like you, we had a streak of two straight years before we finally got back in just just last year. So. It's uh, it's really, I guess, a testament to that franchise overall and what they've been able to build, especially, you know, even before Pop, but especially uh, mm-hmm. during that extended pseudo dynasty kind of that they had going. But that was that was the other kind of thing in that that even in a game that I wasn't as focused on with the, the Grizzlies Spurs matchup to have something like that come out of it, kind of an interesting storyline was still like, oh, I mean, some people, I guess, could kind of say like, the play-in tournament sort of counts as postseason, but it, it's not. Like, you're just trying to move from 9 to 10 up into that argument of 7 or 8. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fascinating all the same. So what uh, do you think, based on um, the Mavericks situation with the rematch with the Clippers, do you think that this team is better suited than last year's team to contend in this series like last year nobody picked the Mavericks and it was I think justifiable that nobody picked the Mavericks in that series do you think that this year's team stands a better chance or do you think that the Clippers are still a league above I think the Mavericks are much more equipped to take this series deeper than what they did a season ago just because you think about who was missing last year the Jalen Brunson's of the world the Dwight Powell's of the world Porzingis missing the final three games of the series there's a lot that's changed with not only the Mavericks, but a lot of things have changed with the Clippers too. I mean, new head coach with, with Ty Lue, you know, you bring in guys like DeMarcus Cousins, Rajon Rondo, who's been there, done that, and had playoff success throughout his career. And then you still got the two-headed monster with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You know, obviously the question with Paul George is, can he actually do it in the playoffs when it matters? He had a really nice regular season you know, scored over 23 points a game, shot the three-point, you know, ball over 41% for the season. And we're talking about a team that was the number one three-point shooting team in all of the NBA. So this team is a little bit different than what we saw from them a season ago. But the Marcus Morrises of the world are still there. The physicality and what they want to do defensively against you, that hasn't changed either. So the Mavericks, I think, are better equipped based on just the amount of depth that they've had coming back for this team this year to be able to combat some of that with what the Clippers have and see what they can do, you know, fully healthy this time around for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to see, you mentioned Paul George. He hasn't really had a great playoff series since Indiana. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd have to go back even before he had that scary leg break and everything because his two years in Oklahoma city, he was great. And he was, a, I think a top three finalists in the MVP his last year in OKC. But in both years, whether it was the Jazz Series against the rookie Donovan Mitchell or uh, not last year, two years ago against the Blazers when Dame Mm -hmm. hits that shot on him. And in both of those cases, he went into the postseason not fully healthy and it it showed he didn't have strong performances both times. It was a first round exit and then he struggled last year. I don't know how much he had health as, a, as an issue last year. It, it just seemed like he was in a real funk for whatever reason. So in that regard, he's, he's a very good player, but we've seen him be very good in the regular season in recent years. He's going to be hampered by that label 
of, you know, whether you want to say like it's Pandemic Paul or whatever, <laughs> instead of Playoff P or whatever terrible nickname he tried to push in OKC for himself. Uh, if he's going to get over that hump, he's going to have to really step into that role that they envisioned for him playing alongside Kawhi Leonard. And if he is dialed in as well, then yeah, you're you're going to have your hands full because Kawhi Leonard's going to get his. I, I think Kawhi Leonard is going to still be pretty much as beastly as he was last year for the Clippers. But what helped Dallas, even though they were shorthanded last year and they're not shorthanded this year, what really helped them, I thought, hang around in that series and stretch it to six last year was the fact that the the second role guy wasn't really filling that for the Clippers, right? George wasn't playing well from, I think he had one game where he played well, but really mm-hmm. like shot the ball well. He really didn't play very well. Uh, Lou Williams had a couple moments, but he wasn't like blowing you away or anything like that. Other than like Marcus Morris himself, who killed the Mavericks, shot over 50%, averaged over 12 points. There wasn't really that other guy that, it felt like was really propelling that. And so I think that made it easier for Dallas to hang around. So that that's a concern for me is even though Dallas is healthier, you mentioned it, Brunson, Powell, you know, they even have Willie Cauley Stein available this time around. Presumably we have a healthy KP, even with those things factored in, it's hard to get a read on what this series is going to be. And, you know, it's not just the team's differences. It's just, you know, all right, we're another year down the road. Is, is it going to be like last year where George struggles and, you know, the Mavericks are able to hang around, or is it going to be a different situation entirely where they kind of look like the team that is favored for a reason? Yeah, and not to make excuses for Paul George, especially in the playoffs last year, but, you know, he kind of talked about some of the things in terms of the mental fatigue and the mental grind of being in the bubble inside of Orlando. I think a lot of players were dealing with that, and now you take all that away. These guys are going to be in their home gyms playing in front of fans and now having an opportunity to play in a much more normal atmosphere quote-unquote if you will when it comes to these playoffs this year so I'm interested to see how that dynamic changes for both teams you know the Mavericks have talked about even Mark Cuban just today you know said that they expect you know 12,000 fans inside of the American Airlines Center where you're talking about in Los Angeles I'm not sure exactly what the number is but I think it's like eight nine thousand that they're expecting inside Hmm. of the Staples Center so it's going to feel different this time around and feeding off of fans energy and what it means to play at home in front of, you know, your own home crowd, I think can make a bit of a difference, but you know, for some reason, you know, the Mavericks have done well when it comes to defending, you know, Paul George, whether it be heavily contested shots or lightly contested shots, you know, they've done pretty well against him, you know, defensively. So I'm interested to see how Dorian Finney Smith, who I expect to be the primary defender on Paul George how he is able to handle not just Paul George, but also Kawhi Leonard also, because I'm sure at times he'll be guarding both and yeah. see what he can do defensively against them. I'm wondering, because uh, it, it seems like he's still a, uh, a question mark at this point, what condition we're going to see from Maxi? Like, I, I don't doubt that he's going to try and go out, go out there and play. I'm curious how close to 100% he is with that. I think it's the right Achilles, right Achilles soreness that he's been kind of hampered with. Anytime you say soreness, it feels like enough of uh, a gray area. No pun intended. Um, oh, I like that. It's good. No, it's good. <laughs> enough it's good. of a gray area where it's like, oh, you know, I could tweak my ankle and it's sore, or I could snap it in half and be, you know, on drugs or something, mor- morphine, and be like, ah, it's yeah. kind of sore, you know. Uh, it, it's just like it's a gray area in that regard. And so it's like, I wonder how bad it really is because he was your primary defender on Kawhi last year. And mm-hmm. even if he's available, if he's not able to to stick with Kawhi, you're probably going to have to use Dorian, I would think, on Kawhi more because, yeah, you have Richardson, and that's that's an improvement defensively over Seth Curry, I think. It's still something where that kind of particular experiment with him hasn't really worked out like I think the Mavericks envisioned. You know, when, when they brought him in, Carlisle kind of mentioned that he had thought for a couple of years that Richardson would be a perfect pairing next to Luka, and... There were some flashes early on, but I just don't feel like it ever really grew into that. And so he's kind of the forgotten man in the mix, I feel like, here, where if he can actually step into that and kind of uh, step up a little bit in the playoffs to what they thought he might be, then he's a major X factor in this series. I just don't know that he's going to flip that switch suddenly in this matchup, even though they will very much need his perimeter defense. Yeah, no, I agree because you look at, you know, the size of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you're talking about two guys that both go, you know, 6'7", 6'8", 
you know, Dorian Finney-Smith is your best defender, and he's a guy that goes about 6'6". Mm-hmm. So then you're talking about Josh Richardson at 6'5", Tim Hardaway about 6'5". Also, you're giving up not only length, but you're giving up size on the perimeter against those guys. So I think that's one of the things that concerns me most about this particular matchup is that you've got not one but two guys with Leonard and George with the length and size that they have and their offensive abilities, how much defensive energy that Hardaway, Richardson, and Finney Smith are going to have to expend defensively guarding these guys to where I wonder how much they will be rendered potentially ineffective offensively because of the amount of chasing and the amount of defending that you're going to have to do against those two because you can't take any possessions off against Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. So I think some of the effect that you'll see for those three specifically will be what kind of toll it takes on them offensively because of the amount of defensive energy that they're expending on those two, you know, in particular. So mm. that's what I'm really, that's, that's where Maxi really comes in in terms of being missed there because of his, when you talked about, you know, the versatility that he has as a defender and I don't know about you, but I feel like that Achilles injury is a little bit worse than what they're, what they're letting on. That's because, what I'm worried about. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm more concerned about is how bad is it? Because, you know, Maxie isn't one to be out here missing games and those kinds of like, he's a gamer and wants to be out there. So mm-hmm. for him to continuously miss games, I think it may be a little bit worse to what even they're willing to let on at this point, even though you're trying to get him rest, you know, before the playoffs start in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, e- even with the, you mentioned the kind of the fatigue of dealing with those guys, having to guard those guys. We saw that last year in the playoffs with Maxie, he couldn't throw it into the ocean if his toes were already in the sand. Like he, he <laughs> yeah. had no lift in his legs at all. And he's not a guy that has to get a lot of lift for his shot, but he, I don't remember what he shot in that series, but it was something brutal. It was something like one of 15 or one of 16, like over the course of the series. And it got to the point where they weren't even really closing out on him and he just wasn't able to knock it down. And we know he's a much better shooter than that. He was last year, too. He shot over 40% this year, got the the nice uh, incentive bonus for hitting that 40% mark. I think it was like mm-hmm. 150000 this year. Um, I don't remember exactly what he shot last year, but I know it was something close to that as well. So he's better and can bring more offensively than what we got out of him last year. I wonder if maybe there would be a trade-off in that if he is somewhat hampered and not able to stick with Kawhi uh, guarding on the perimeter or something, if adjusting for that, they kind of try and move him to a different assignment to say, like, all right, you might not be able to you know, keep up with him and go off the dribble. Obviously, Kawhi is an assassin in the mid-range game. But we can now try to offset that by getting a little more out of you spotting up. You know what I mean? Like a trade-off yeah. there where you're, we're not running you ragged. That keeps the mileage low on the already sore Achilles. And then we can just try to let you do the other thing you do really well to offset to at least some degree. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some matchup zone or some 2-3 zone in this series because the amount of energy that they're going to have to deal with these two defensively you're going to have to find ways at times to quote unquote kind of rest them on the defensive end Mm -hmm. and try and play a little bit better team defense so that this team offensively can be what they need to be because they're so dependent on shooting the ball well from the outside that if they're going to continuously use that energy to try and guard these guys, they're not going to have anything left on the offensive end to consistently hit jump shots, which this team primarily primarily does. So I think you'll see some of that, you know, mixing up of defenses. I'm interested to see what Jamal Mosley kind of comes up with in terms of some of the defensive game plans to try and slow them down differently than what you saw, you know, last year. Because theoretically, this team is supposed to be better defensively with the the Richardsons and the Finney Smiths and, you know, those kinds of guys. So, you know, that'll be... It'd be fun to watch for sure. Yeah, they they certainly tried to make the philosophical shift in the offseason, like you said, with uh, drafting of Josh Green even and mm-hmm. really going for length and athleticism, trying to go with a lot of long, lanky defenders um, in that regard to put along uh, next to Luca on the perimeter and everything like that. And I don't know if... I, I think this team is better defensively than last year because that's a fairly low bar. But it's also, the last two years, it's almost kind of hard to get an accurate grasp on either team, really, like uh, across the league, really. But with with the Mavericks, last year was a tale of two seasons as well because they were better as a team prior to Powell's injury. 
but he goes down in January. Yes, KP stepped out of his shell and kind of recaptured his old form offensively, and I think that's kind of what people got wrapped up in when they, they viewed that as like, all right, well, he's peaking, and so it looks like you've got your main two guys. So even if the defense isn't there, you've at least got your main two guys, and you can try and outscore everybody. But this year it's been a little bit uneven as well because you haven't gotten that extended period of KP breaking through that I think the team is better defensively and offensively I think they still have that ceiling but it, it's it's hard to really get a grasp I guess on the team like I think their defensive rating is about the same as it was last year and yeah, 21st this year yeah yeah oh okay so it went down a little bit because weren't they like 19th last year they about the middle of the pack last year yeah yeah so it, it's hard to say because whether it's the health and safety protocols early in the year that gave us that brutal 18 game stretch or mm-hmm. just the condensed season and the fewer practices to, to deal with. It's really hard to know. That's almost where it's, it, it really does just boil down to your continuity and your talent levels. And so we have to hope that because the Mavericks finished the season on an upward swing, I think they won something like 12 of their last 16 games, and all 16, or excuse me, all of those losses were against teams below 500, I think. Uh, Three of those against the Kings, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the one team that's the exception. Yeah, exactly. The one team that was the exception in there uh, was when they lost to Memphis. Memphis is over 500. But um, for the most part, like this team finished really strong. And so we have to hope that the upward swing plus the small sample size of KP we got indicates that they are at least rounding into form, whereas it kind of felt like they were more unstable last year in the the bubble restart, those eight games. I think they finished like... Four and four, I want to say, in in the eight games that closed out before the actual uh, playoffs Mm -hmm. started. And so maybe they've got a little more continuity there this time around. Yeah, and a couple of things for me that indicates at least this team is playing with better poise, especially down the stretch. I mean, this team last year was 17 and 24 in clutch time games, which was, I believe, what, 21st in the NBA last year. This year, they're 18 and 15, which is... 10th in the NBA as far as clutch time games. So they're playing better down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And then you win 33 of your last 49 games, you know, really since February, you know, early February when they got blown out by the Golden State Warriors, this team has really been in chase mode ever since then, not only just to get back to 500, but also get over 500 and play with a little more consistency, you know, as the season went on. So they needed to get that five C or at least they needed to be in the top six to get that extra week of rest off before yeah. The playoffs started because you could tell, especially during the final month and really the last couple of weeks of the season. I don't know about you, but Luka Doncic seemed tired. Yeah. He seemed like a guy who had been doing all the heavy lifting throughout the season, and it was finally catching up to him because you know three point percentage just dipped off. You know, in the last you know month of the season, you know where he was shooting the ball really well. You know, in in March and in April a little bit. So they needed to get that rest, but. Uh, the matchup that they have with the Clippers is a fun one because obviously the familiarity between the two teams, but these two teams feel different than what you saw from them, you know, a season ago. And mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how that all plays out with fans, you know, and home games and what those teams are. And one thing I will say, the Mavericks aren't afraid of the Clippers. I don't think they look at their situation and say, Oh man, I can't believe we drew the Clippers for a second time. Yeah. I think they look at it as we beat them two out of three times this year. And we've got some confidence to go up against them again after we took in the six games last year and we weren't fully healthy. So I think there's a confidence factor there that I think we'll have to account for. That's a little bit different than what we saw from them a year ago. Yeah. And uh, speaking of rest, like he talked about getting this week off because of the playing tournament and everything, the fact that we're not in a bubble, I think aids that as well, because you're now getting two days of rest uh, between multiple games here. Um, I actually, Nick Angstad pointed out on Twitter, Mavericks are getting two days of rest between games one and two, two and three, and four and five. So mm-hmm. that that's huge for KP as we're talking about that. I know he's had, obviously, he missed like 10 of 11 games there towards the end of the season, but that's still someone that has had the wear and tear uh, effect on him where it's hard for him to, to keep playing at a high level over the course of an extended period, and that's why he's been in and out of the lineup with little little things here and there, like a sore knee or an ankle or things like that. And that, and I think the Mavericks wanting to be extra cautious uh, on that front. So getting that extra little bit of rest, even if it's just because of like, I mean, it's not even just because of travel. If you're going between one and two and two and three, that's just built in uh, to that framework as well. So that should help. 
and the week off will help Luca. Obviously, last year in the playoffs, Luca's usage rate was was crazy high because they they were just depleted, right? Like mm-hmm. they picked up Trey Burke before the bubble, and he actually was very good for them in the bubble and even in the playoffs. He played in, against the Clippers in that series, twenty six minutes a game, and yep. uh, averaged over twelve. They needed points. him too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they yeah, needed it too. Painfully needed it. And uh, he averaged over 12 points and shot more than 40% from three and everything. So he played very well for them. If you look at, like, his production in the bubble, it kind of fits hand-in-hand, though, with, like, what Brunson has had this season. And Brunson obviously wasn't able to play that uh, season because of the – or the playoffs because of the torn rotator cuff. So the fact that Brunson had a career high from the field shooting over 50%, uh, 40% from the three-point line as well – you have a, a steady hand, but it's also a different feel. It's not just a guy that is very comfortable running the offense, but can come up big and score, have big scoring games for you as well. And a guy who, unlike Burke, I think Burke is more of a score first point guard. I think Brunson uh, kind of is that general, that floor general that can kind of run mm-hmm. things and kind of pick and choose his spots a little bit. So I think you're a little better there, whereas Burke kind of just had to be the spark off the bench. He had to be the guy that was doing it himself and just lifting you up that way. I think Brunson can kind of keep the the rest of the second unit or if he's playing out there with Luca in the first unit some, uh, keep them kind of dialed in and working as well. Yeah, and Jalen Brunson's also been really good a, a lot of the time this season, especially in the fourth quarter and being that cl- kind of closer, if you will. Mm-hmm. And him and Doncic together, you know, they play really well offensively together. Obviously, both of them are the two real primary ball handlers and facilitators on this team. But when they're on the floor together, offensively, this team is still really good. At one point, I think they were outscoring teams by like 7.2 points per 100 possessions when the two of them were on the floor together. So I think Brunson is going to have to be really huge in this series, given the amount of depth that this team is going to need from him and his ability to be a playmaker and also, you know, facilitating for guys on the offensive end. But more importantly for the Clippers, how they're going to defend Brunson, especially in the second half, especially in fourth quarters, is going to tell you a lot about what this team is looking at him and how important he is for them this season. Or as you say, in the series, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I had a, so I wrote an article on the website, uh, DallasProspect.com, with uh, an assist actually from in the chat here. Rangers King gave me uh, a little bit of good context regarding Luca and his improvement in that it's one of those things where the eyeball test and some of the rudimentary stats kind of told you that there was a trend there and he kind of helped make it easier to decipher in that regard uh regarding that series last year as i said earlier Kawhi was an absolute assassin in in the mid-range he didn't shoot well from three in that series he was only 29 percent but he was very very good in that mid-range and picked apart Dallas and that was one of those things where even though Maxi played him about as well as you could there were just a lot of times where he was just it didn't matter good defense better offense yeah and I think Luca's takeaway from that was you know I I take a lot of step backs and I can get to the paint and I can finish but the Clippers are such a physical team they were battering him not just the the Morris clubbing blow to the back of the head and everything although that's what people (laughs) think of primarily when they think of the physicality of that series last year there were all kinds of times where he just had like clawing hands and mitts raking at him slapping at his arms and just Mm -hmm. kind of pummeling him to the point where even though he didn't take a lot of mid-range shots last season and this was again where uh Rangers King kind of helped out there uh, I think he only took like 7% of his field goal attempts in the regular season last year in the mid-range. But in that series, he had to move it up to like 17%, and he was only making about 35 36% of those attempts. So he wasn't converting at a high rate, and he was having to take a lot more. So that showed how, even though he was brilliant in the series, averaging over 31, 9, and 8 a game, the Clippers were able to kind of make him change his approach a little bit and bother him with uh, their physicality. And so what he brought in this year... As much as we talked about like his improved three-point shot, and it did improve. That's a great plus. Uh, Career-high 35% this year. But the elements he was able to bring in was a much smoother mid-range game, right? We always point out like how every other game, it seems like he's looking to do the Dirk one-legged turnaround fadeaway <laughs> off the silhouette. Yeah. Like that, That's such a beautiful, uh, poetic thing. But in addition to that, not only did he shoot them uh, mid-range shots on like 21% of his, his attempts this year, but he converted over 50% in that range. So that's a major weapon that he took as like a direct lesson from last year's series, it feels like, and will be 
instrumental, I think, in this year's rematch. The fact that he doesn't have to say, hey, it's a step back or I got to be willing to go get clobbered in the lane. And if, if it's the defender guarding him, it's not just, oh, he put the ball on the floor heading towards the basket, basically just retreat and hope the defense, my help guy comes over and we collapse down on him to make it hard. Like you have to be ready if he pulls up on a dime or turns or anything like that. Um, it just makes him harder to guard because you have to guard the full length of the half court, not just, you know, three point line and then all the way at the rim. Yeah, he's turned himself in a, into a true three-level scorer with his ability to get in the paint. Now he's added the mid-range game, and you talked about the improvements from the three-point line this year. There's not a lot of ways now that you can really defend him, and I think going through that experience last year, the physicality of the series, dealing with you know Marcus Morris and the things that they incorporated to try and get into his head, not only from a mental but a physical standpoint, I think will serve him that much more given now he has true NBA playoff experience Mm -hmm. and being able to not allow some of those things to bother him the way that it may have last year. And the same for a lot of his teammates. When you go through some of those things, it prepares you much more mentally. And now the fact that they are actually facing the same team over again, I think that gives them the kind of confidence to know that whether Luca is being, you know, beat up physically or, Whatever the case may be, this team will know how to handle it much better. But you're right, for Luca and his perspective, there's not much you can do with him now, especially the key for me is when he's making his free throws because while you talked about the ability for him to improve his three-point shot, I think for a lot of us, taking that next step and really punishing teams from the free throw line is really what's going to continue to take his game to the next level because once you now are a three-level scorer, and you're punishing guys on the free throw line because your ability to get to the basket and convert. Now there's not much even more that teams can do with you, but he's got to be able to make teams pay by hitting free throws on a more consistent basis when he mm-hmm. does get the mid range and those, you know, buckets inside the paint. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's been a weird, I, I would like to see the exceptions, I guess, to this. Cause it feels like any game he's either dialed in from three and he's like six of eight from three, or he's, uh, really good at the line, but not making the three. Like, it's a one or the other thing, it kind of feels like. And in the playoffs, if you have to have just one of those, you want to have, I would say, the free throws. But I guess it depends on how many you're actually getting. Usually, if he's not converting from three, he's attacking a little bit more. And so that might help you in the sense of the series, but you don't want him having to take that kind of punishment as well. So if uh, if he can improve his free throw shooting and it it went up a tick this year. I think he posted a a career high. I don't have the number in front of me, but I think he had a a career high in free throw percentage as well. But if he just keeps kind of elevating that to where it's a little bit more consistent, because you will still have games where he's seven of 13 at the line and you're like, yeah, that's not, that's not going to cut it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. If he can find that consistency, then that could make a big, big improvement for, for the team's chances. I'm I'm curious, though, as we talk about his usage and everything like that, we know the Clippers are still going to be very physical with him. We know that they're going to try and bother. You mentioned earlier that the Clippers, with how good they are offensively, whether it's the three-point shooting or just the weapons they have, Paul George, Kawhi, et cetera, that they can really cause problems for the Mavericks defense wearing guys down, whether it be Maxie or Dorian Finney-Smith, guys that Dallas needs to shoot the ball well. If they're if the Clippers are enforcing their will on offense well, and then they're throwing double teams at Luca on the other end to get the ball out of his hands, daring some of those guys with tired legs to beat them, do you think Dallas kind of has like a, a counter to that? Like we've seen teams double Luca all year, but I think few teams have kind of the the firepower to throw in this case that the the Clippers do, and that three point barrage might I think be really problematic. Yeah, and I think part of that is going to be on Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith, who have been much more willing and aggressive to go and put the ball on the deck and drive the ball to the basket. Tim Hardaway especially, you've seen that advent to his game where he's been much more willing to go to the bucket, Dorian Finney-Smith being much more aggressive and doing the same. They're going to have to try and create some easy baskets for themselves because the amount of jump shots that this team depends on to make night in and night out a lot of that could be taken away by the amount of defensive energy that they're going to expend. So their abilities to be aggressive and willing to drive the balls to the basket to get easy buckets, but also create fouls and try to put pressure on George and Kawhi mm-hmm. defensively themselves to try and get them into foul trouble. Cause you can conversely say the same thing on the other end. 
hopefully this team won't settle for jump shots when they have the opportunities to take the ball to the basket to put extra pressure on Kawhi and on Paul George themselves to maybe potentially get them into some foul trouble because you know what they're going to do defensively against Luka, but how Tim Hardaway Jr., Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith, how these guys attack the rim and get easy buckets from themselves and then convert from themselves at the free throw line could help this team kind of balance some of that attack that you'll see. But they what they can't do in this series is settle for jump shots when there's opportunities right. to get easier buckets because – defensively the Clippers are just too good. And if you're settling for jump shots and then you start missing them, we know how this team feels when it comes to offensive and defensive energy translating from one end to the other. Mm-hmm. Porzingis has talked about it and multiple guys have talked about it this season. When they have that offensive energy and playing well and sharing the ball and getting easy buckets, that really translates for them defensively. If they find themselves struggling in first quarters in this series, they're going to be a lot of trouble because now you're putting more pressure on yourself against a team defensively that wants to make you a jump shooting team given how good their perimeter defenders are when they're on so the Mavericks are really gonna have to really do a good job of creating easy buckets for themselves with guys like Hardaway Jr. Dorian Finney-Smith and others for sure yeah and and a a fast start is huge we we know at this point the the numbers when the Mavericks are leading after the first quarter it was something like right ended up like 19 and 0 or something like that and you're like 27 oh 27 I feel better about that uh, yeah, I was like, I was saying, you know, in 42 wins, the fact that you only led after the first quarter that many times was a little concerning. Yeah, 27 and 0. I don't know why I was yeah. thinking 19. I, I guess I locked into that stat mentally for a long, like a month or something. But uh, <laughs> it became yeah. a wild talking point all season long with yeah. this team. Is that you guys are undefeated when you don't, you know, when you lead after the first quarter? Yeah, it got all the way up to 27 games. So yeah, kind of wild right. stat there. It, so if they can get if they can get a hot start, we know that this team, as you said, they really ride off of that energy. It energizes them more for the defensive end where it's going to be crucial. I'm I'm feeling particularly encouraged about Tim Hardaway Jr.'s play in over the last month of the season. It feels like he is getting going. We know how he is kind of feast or famine at times. And if he's going, which he has been, then he's a major, major weapon to have on your team. There's a reason why he's effectively been the kind of third option for Dallas for the last year and a half, two years. And I think as well, what encouraged me is he's had games as well, where he's not just doing it all from three. He's not just relying on that. You mentioned like not being able to settle for jump shots. He's attacking the basket. He's getting out in transition and catching alley-oop dunks, even from Luca. Like he's doing it in every way that you want to see. And that, I think that's very important as well because if you if you miss your first couple of jump shots or something, but you're attacking the basket and still finishing, that's better than if you just keep saying like, well, I'm just going to keep digging and hopefully I eventually get out of this hole. And so for this team, I think it's crucial to start early and Hardaway is a big, big factor this time around because he was okay in in last year's series. He wasn't a big difference maker. I think Curry had a better season uh, series than him last year. Yeah, THJ is going to have to really be the true X factor for the Mavericks in this series because when he's on and shooting the ball well, you know, we saw what happened in Detroit. You know, he can carry you against, yeah, I know the Pistons were kind of like a G League at the team, G League team at the time, but still, Mm -hmm. you know, you drop 42 points in Detroit, but then you go to Miami, you tie a franchise record with hitting 10 three pointers, you score 36 points. Not to say that you'll need him at that extreme, but you'll need him to hit you you know, five to six three-pointers, you know, a night in this series because just the amount of offensive pressure that this team and the Clippers will continuously put on you and defensively against Luka and how they defend Chris Porzingis is going to be obviously key. But for Hardaway, he can't be the Jekyll and Hyde that we saw from him throughout the season. He's got to be the guy who over an eight-game stretch, I think it was, what, 27 points, over 50% from the field and from Mm -hmm. the three-point line, that's the Tim Hardaway that you're going to need in this series and need him throughout because he is really going to bend the math a little bit differently for the Mavericks, especially if he is on. Because now you've got to start making some decisions if Hardaway is being more consistent from the three-point line. Obviously, you know what you're going to get for the most part from Luka and Chris Osborzingas, but for Hardaway to be that third guy, now you got to start making some decisions defensively on who you're going to guard because you can't just let Hardaway sit out there and hit, you know, right. four or five three-pointers in a row and not, you know, go out and start defending him. So, yeah, he's going to be, I think, massive in this series for the Mavericks. 
So how many fans did you say that the AAC will allow in? 13,000? Yeah, Cuban said uh, 12,000 fans. They're trying to 12, work 000. on getting it okay. up to, yeah, up to 15 so uh, really, by the time. So really then we'll have 11,999 tickets for sale because we know Tim Hardaway Sr. <laughs> will be having courtside <laughs> seats the entire postseason if Mark Cuban can uh, can make that happen. Because Hardaway, so. Hardaway is different when his dad or grandmother or whoever is in attendance. I, I think you mentioned that Miami game. I think his grandmother was there, right? Or was that That's the one? Right. His, That's right. His dad exactly was at right. the Detroit game. So, uh-huh. yeah, if I'm, if I'm Dallas, I, I lean all the way into it at this point. I'm like, you basically have, like, we're, you're pretty much on a payroll just to sit in this seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and, Tim Hardaway, uh, you got senior, you got a seat that. in the AAC every, anytime you want it, for sure. Yeah, literally, the, the chair is literally just labeled, not even, like, with, like, a, a piece of tape and paper, <laughs> but, like, literally, like, the emblazoned with just his name, like, reserved yeah. for Tim Hardaway Tim's senior. dad's seat right yes. here. That's, it. that's, yes. his, that's his seat, yeah. Right, so, yeah, that's, uh, it's, he plays different when, when he's there, so hopefully... You know, bubble last year. Obviously, you didn't have any option there, but maybe they can uh, they can make that happen at least in the home games here, and we can we can get a good Hardaway performance because when they have a good Hardaway performance, like even before KP broke through last year in January after he moved to the five, he uh, he was Hardaway was able to fill that third man role, and you saw like they could go to LA and handle the Lakers early in the year, even though KP's numbers weren't stellar yet it still created a three-headed monster between Luka, KP, and Hardaway that just was very, very difficult even for a team like the Lakers to defend. And Hardaway, in the three games they did play the Lakers this year, averaged 18 points, shot over 50% from three and the field. So he he played well against them this year. And obviously, it's a small sample size, but it is encouraging, at least, that it looks like he's going to be able to get his looks and riding this wave he's kind of been on it should be a series where he can make a big difference whereas last year i remember like as the as the last regular season games of the bubble were winding down i think that last one that didn't matter at all for dallas uh where luca and kp rested and i think they beat the jazz like short both teams basically rested everybody the notable thing for us there was like okay well hardaway's been struggling but he had a pretty good game here, and so we think he might have broken <laughs> yeah. through. And mm-hmm. it really didn't carry over because it was just it was a one-game write-off. But this has been kind of a collective month-long wave he's been on, so maybe there's a little bit more momentum behind this where uh, you're really dialed in. It's not just like the muscle memory and everything, but it, it's that confidence of, you know, taking a shot and like almost not even having to watch it go through the net. You just like you feel it. You're like, yep, and go back on defense. Yeah, and the Clippers have already kind of stated how important they feel Tim Hardaway Jr. is. Ty Lue before, you know, during some media availability, you know, over the last few days, you know, was talked about, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. is the Mavericks X Factor. So you can already tell the amount of emphasis that the Hmm. Clippers are going to be putting on Tim Hardaway Jr. in this series, given how good of a shooter he can be and how streaky he can get. I think the Clippers understand that he is an engine that makes this team go, especially shooting the ball from the outside. So I'll be interested to see how this team defends THJ, given how much they feel he's important to the Mavericks' success. And if THJ has got the attention of you know Ty Lue and this bunch already, that just shows you the importance that he has to the Mavericks and what they feel about him. Oh, for sure. And, you know, with uh, with the matchup and everything, you referenced this earlier, the the coaching change for the Clippers, Ty Lue. Do you think, uh, I, I guess, how, how would you rate that? Would you say that's like a, a little bit of a step back for them from Doc Rivers? I mean, Rivers is a, a good coach. I feel like that's a little bit of a step down that should actually tip a little more in Dallas's favor in terms of that matchup, the coaches and kind of the X's and O's and making adjustments in that regard. But I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that change. You know, it's interesting. I I wouldn't necessarily call it a step down. I would just say it's a step in a different direction because I think from an X's and O's standpoint, Doc Rivers is a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But what Ty Lue has is in what most folks don't necessarily are capable of doing. He knows how to manage superstar personalities. And what he did in Cleveland with LeBron James and managing what he did with him, he was able to get the most out of not just LeBron, but that squad as a whole. And he commanded the respect of LeBron James, you know, fairly quickly when mm-hmm. he was there in Cleveland. And I think he's done a lot of the same in Los Angeles. You know, Kawhi Leonard has wanted to come into the season to try and be a little bit more of a leader. 
We know Paul George was kind of on a redemption tour after what happened to him in the bubble playoffs, you know, last year. But Ty Lu offers a voice for them. I think that is much more respected given the success that he's had and who he has had that success with. And they play with a little more discipline than what you've seen in recent past. And I think that's going to come into play this year. So while I think Doc Rivers is a little bit better coach overall, mm-hmm. his voice in Ty Lu is much more, I think, resonating inside of this locker room given some of the veteran leadership that they now have, especially when you add a guy, and I know Mavericks fans don't want me to say it, but you add Rajon Rondo to the room, you know, the amount of intelligence that he has as a basketball player and the leadership mm-hmm. that he's displayed throughout his career, especially late in his career, that makes a huge difference. So Ty Lu, I think, is an X factor just given how much of a different voice that he is. Not necessarily that he's a better coach, right. but he offers something different, I think, that the Clippers needed at the time with Doc Rivers' voice. I think getting a little bit stale and not being the kind of voice that it was earlier when he got there. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting series, even though it's the rematch. Both teams look drastically different, whether it's just one being healthy uh, and minor alterations or, and the other one having some some more significant ones where, yeah, the Clippers might have lost Harrell and Lou Williams and changed head coaches. But it's kind of like they took the, the weaknesses that team that blew the 3-1 lead in the second round last year, the weaknesses that team had, and plugged it pretty well. I, I think, you know, a guy I hadn't even mentioned yet, and he missed 30 games just before recently coming back, Serge Ibaka, I think, is going to be a major mm-hmm. X factor as well. Uh, I actually was talking with uh, my co-host last night, Inny Duca, about that. And I, I think Ibaka is flying under the radar mostly because he missed such an extended period of time. But he's looked good in the in the little bit of action he's had back, the two or three games back. And I think he's one of those guys that... You know, Harold, he he's obviously what he won six man of the year last year. He's an energy guy and he's an irritator, but he's not a, a great defender, certainly. And Abaka's more sound in that regard. He's not the rim protector he once was, but he's still a good rim protector. He's not like OKC Abaka leading the league every year in that regard. But he's a he's a very capable guy off the bench to to really add to that front court. And then yeah, you mentioned earlier uh, DeMarcus Cousins. That's another thing where even even with Houston being so bad this year, if, if he was in the lineup, he abused Dallas on the in the block and in the games in general. Like even if he extended his range, he just was killing them. So you look at the you look at the composition of it and you're like, this is still a very, very good Clippers team, maybe even better than last year's team, even if it's different. And some of the guys that they've added in that regard are like perfect foils for what we've observed from Dallas this year. So that could be red flags that we're not even really giving enough consideration to, I suppose. Yeah. And you kind of started to allude to some of it. You know, what, what gets me about this matchup with the Mavericks and the Clippers is that a lot of the things that the Clippers do well, the Mavericks don't necessarily do well. Mm -hmm. So you started to allude to with guys like, you know, DeMarcus cousins and Ibaka, the guy that for me is an X factor for the Clippers Ivica Zubac, and that's a guy yeah. who can rebound the basketball extremely well, a guy who in years past and in games past has really given the business to the Mavericks, especially punishing them on the offensive glass. And we know that at times this year the Mavericks have really struggled, you know, rebounding the basketball. So how he is able to create second possessions for the Clippers, which is something you don't want to do, especially for a team that's, you know, the best three-point shooting team in all the NBA. Mm. The Mavericks' ability to be able to compete on the boards with the Clippers in this series is going to be hugely important, just given how well they do rebound the basketball and Zubac in particular. You know, you mentioned DeMarcus Cousins. He had his best game of the season, you know, right here in Dallas when he was with the Houston Rockets. I think he yep. had, you know, what, 28 and 17, something like that. Yep. You know, so they they match up well with the Mavericks in the respect of they're a big physical team that can rebound but they also got, you know, long wing defenders and guys who can shoot the basketball. So they just do a lot of the things that defensively the Mavericks have struggled with this year, whether it be rebounding. They've done okay when it comes to defending the three. You know, this year I think they're 13th in the NBA in defending the three-point shot. But still, you've got to be on top of your game defensively because you can't take possessions off against the Clippers offensively, and especially on the glass when it comes to Zubats also. Yeah. And, you know, Dallas won the regular season series two to one. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not only is it a small sample size being only three matchups, 
but it's also one of those things where, you know, the first one was a 50 point, 51 point win. And that mm-hmm. was the Mavericks, I think, first win of the season, actually. It was like the first it was, win, certainly, yep. yeah. And then the the next two were back-to-back right after the All-Star break. They lost the first one by 10, and then they won the second one by, I think, 16 or 17 points. So it's uh, it's very telling and in that these teams do match up. Well, I, I set the first one aside. <laughs> to, me, to me, like, you can't make any basis off that. Uh, the second two showing, you know, they are pretty evenly matched in that regard the Mavericks do play up or down to their competition thankfully they're going to be playing up in this case (laughs) Uh, right but I'm curious to see how it comes down to execution because Dallas we can talk about their x-factors Brunson or uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and all of that I think really a, a big thing here is going to come down to if they have any kind of facsimile of bubble KP I think Dallas is nigh, <laughs> nigh unstoppable in this series because we saw last year, even with a team that really couldn't defend much of anything, like you have a couple guys, Dorian and Maxi, who can defend, but everything else was just kind of like average to below at mm-hmm. the time. Although Luca did flash a little bit defensively in the playoffs last year. Um, you, you had that situation and you, um, wow, I just completely like, blanked i looked at the chat and then i just like it went away uh let's see what was i i'll, I'll have to wait see if that comes back um but oh i was talking about the, the x factor right um in that case i think if you have bubble kp then you have a major weapon that you know last year if he doesn't go down i think dallas still wins that series he he played Two and a half games, basically, in the series because he got ejected game one. And they won um, game two. Did they win game two or was it game three they won? I know his monster game, the 34 and 12 or whatever it was, they won. Um, That was game three, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, game three. So Mm -hmm. KP, if you have KP and Luka both going off and you have some some measure of uh, your other guys at least holding up to their normal standards... I think Dallas is going to be very, very difficult to contend with. I think last year what separated them was that you did lose KP and you were already shorthanded. And so we'll see. I mean, they've they've been playing great and they still have the ultimate trump card if he can find that form and stay healthy. Yeah, and in this series, and you kind of mentioned it earlier with some of the uh, you know the off days that they'll have in this series, mm-hmm. there'll be no excuse you know, for Porzingis that you can now fully turn him loose in these playoffs and not have to worry about, you know, things like back-to-backs and those kinds of things because he'll have, you know, the proper rest in between in between games. So if he's healthy and he's right, which we saw in the final three games of the season, you know, coming back from that right knee soreness, he looked like he was, you know, in pretty good rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, was moving pretty well. Offensively, I think we know for the most part what we're going to get from him with his ability to stretch the floor from the three-point line. I'm interested to see how he defends in this series because, you know, yeah. at times the Clippers can go small if they decide to put, you know, Ibaka or they put Marcus Morris even at center and really go small against this Mavericks team. How you expose, you know, Porzingis with making him have to come out to the perimeter and try and defend and get him outside of the paint. So his ability to be a guy when he's in the paint, blocking shots, being a rim protector but also rebounding the basketball at the kind of rate that he's capable of doing is going to be extremely important for him uh, to have an effect on this series because for the offensive that he, the offense that he can play, we know how important he is there. But Carlisle has talked about this all season long. When KP is right, defensively, he's really good. Mm-hmm. And at times when he has not been healthy, you've seen him get exposed on the defensive end. So to me, that's what I want to see from him is how well is he moving defensively against this Clippers team for sure. Yeah, that that's a, that's a huge thing because his his effectiveness, even you know last year, even if his offensive game wasn't there at times, you had the defense that that was always a constant last year. Was mm-hmm. his defense was pretty dialed in, and this year it's been a bit more up and down. At times, it was really bad. So I'm curious if the Clippers do go small in that case. You know, KP drawn out away from the basket, you're really 
playing with fire there as, as far as his effectiveness on defense. I wonder if that's going to be a, a place where Dwight Powell is going to be integral to your chances here because, again, it's another guy you didn't have last year. He's he's definitely got more agility in that case, and I think he, as far as dealing with like Morris, for instance, if they try and stretch him out that way, I think he's more equipped to deal with that in some of those lineup mismatches. Yeah, and how this team matches up with them on the defensive end is going to be really important based on what the Clippers will try to do offensively for them because they can go small with you, they can go big. The versatility of their roster is such that they can do a lot of different things and use that position flex for a lot of different guys in their lineup to do you know multiple things within it. So that's going to be key for them when it comes to them as far as their versatility on both ends of the floor also. Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, man, I, I, I know they tip off Saturday afternoon, like three 30 central time, but man, I'm eager for it now. Like I I've been yeah. really, really looking, uh, forward to this and like digging into it. And the more I look into it beyond even just the, the surface level storylines of which there are many, um, I'm fascinated because I don't have a good grasp on where I think this is going to go. I think it's going to be <laughs> like you were talking about earlier, like a long, uh, longer series, like six games. I I agree. I just don't know if it's going to be L.A. pulling away or if it's going to be Dallas. Dallas has gotten better at closing in those tight games, which was a, a real Achilles heel for them the two years prior. And right. so I'm encouraged by that. But it does also come down to. Uh, can you execute in, in crunch time in that regard? And if the Clippers are going to try and force it out of Lucas' hands, then you know you might have a situation where you got guys that, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith hit some big shots this year. The, the mm-hmm. Wizards game, that three there, when the final 10 seconds, the game winner was an awesome moment and all of that. You have guys that are capable of making the shots, but if you're having sure. to deal with a, a higher degree of fatigue because of chasing around Kawhi, chasing around... Uh, Paul George, whatever, then you might have a situation where that can kind of play in a little bit. It's not just like, a, is the moment too big? Because this team coming back now in their second consecutive postseason, pretty much running back the same squad for the most part, I don't think that's as much of a, an intimidating factor to them as it potentially could have been last year. But we'll just have to see. It's, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, uh, it's been... It's been an awesome conversation talking with you here, just kind of previewing all Yeah, you all got of it, this. man, for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on and everything. Anyone in the chat, if you guys aren't already, subscribe to Kevin's channel. I'll drop the link uh, in the description as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I know you're going to have plenty to talk about as well on the air and on the channel uh, regarding this matchup over the next probably couple weeks. But uh, I guess uh, tell them... Tell them a little bit more about like your channel, Twitter, anything like that you want to plug. No, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram at Kevin Gray Sports. Uh, I'm also on, of course, 105 through the fan, your home of the Dallas Cowboys and uh, Texas Rangers with my partner. Uh, I like to call him the two-time, two-time Hall of Famer, Chris Arnold, of course, the legend that he is. So you can catch me on the weekends there. And uh, yeah, please subscribe to uh, Kevin Gray Sports on YouTube. Uh, obviously you've been covering the Mavericks now for the last couple of years um, and really just diving into this team really this year. Also, you know, covering the team for the, for the fan and really having a good time doing it. So, you know, I do a lot of my commentary and work, you know, on Kevin Gray sports on, on YouTube. So definitely uh, hit that subscribe button there. I have videos that come out, you know, at least one or two every day, uh, just getting in depth with this team and obviously with the playoffs uh, even more so. So, uh, I'll be at the American Airlines Center when they come home uh, for those two home games. Hopefully more than just the two home games uh, that Hopefully. they'll have in this in this series. Uh, so you'll be able to see all my work there. Uh, you know, I'll be tweeting stuff out and, you know, just providing covers for the team. But, yeah, man, I have a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on your show once again. Man, you do a terrific job covering this team Thank and covering you. all things, you know, DFW sports. So, it's guys like yourself that uh, continue to motivate me to do what I do because I know there's a lot of you out there that are still doing a lot of the work that we're all trying to do and covering all of these teams that we have. And, uh, but it's an exciting time right now for the Mavericks, uh, given a shot at redemption, if you will, against the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. At getting, it's rare when you get an opportunity to play the same team you know, two years in a row in the playoffs. And yeah. I hope that the, uh, the Mavericks take full advantage of this opportunity because it doesn't come, it doesn't come all that often. No, it really doesn't. And that's one of those things, 
you know, last year that was a bitter playoff series, but really after like the first matchup with them this year, I stopped kind of thinking about it in terms of like, sure. oh, it's the Clippers. Like, you know, because it was a long time before you faced them again. And then it was like a quick back to back and it was done again until now. And so it was kind of just like, yeah, that was last year. I didn't really think of them in that rivalry sense, other than Marcus Morris. And uh, in, in that case, <laughs> I was just like, that guy. But uh, now, drawing them again, now at this point, I think you are going to have a, a bona fide rivalry starting to, to blossom here because it's, it's impossible not to have playoff stakes and back to back years in those matchups and, you know, the physicality that we've seen without there being at least some degree of that, I think. But anyway, well, that'll do it for our time here, guys. Check out Kevin's channel, like the video, subscribe to the Dallas Prospect. We will have tons more coming out. Also, don't forget to check out the website, dallasprospect.com, for my latest articles there. Some of the stuff I touched on here, talking with uh, Kevin Luka Doncic in the mid-range game and everything, Jalen Brunson and Dwight Powell being major X-factors for Dallas. Check that out, and until next time, remember, every legend was once a prospect. Peace. This is the Dallas Prospect Live with DDP. Every legend was once a prospect. The Dallas Prospect is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash the Dallas Prospect or become a member by clicking the join button. Now let the show begin.